The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Well, we're still talking about Moses, and we're going to be for a while. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be in Exodus and Deuteronomy this morning. When we, uh, you'll remember, if you uh, were here last week, if not, you can go back on our website and listen to last week's message. Uh, The very first one on Moses, the sound system went haywire or something. Jeremy said we didn't get it on there. But if you miss out, uh, you can always go back. So I'm not going to do a review, but if you remember a little bit from last week, Moses kind of stepped out on his own. He uh, became the deliverer of Israel, and he decided he'd do his own thing. And it was an unmitigated disaster is what ended up happening. He killed an Egyptian. He hid his body in the sand and... Uh, In his failure, uh, we saw no matter how talented you are, no matter how educated you are, we can do nothing without God. And that was proved really in what took place in Moses' life last week. We saw that uh, that we're capable of some terrible things if we persist in our own ways. We would think uh, in Moses' life, Moses, if you'd ask him at age 30 or age 35 or maybe at age... 39 and a half, uh, Moses, would you kill an Egyptian and bury him and hide his body? Moses, well, of course I wouldn't, but we can really understand if, if we continue in our own ways, we're capable of some bad things, folks, and we saw that in Moses' life. We discovered that hiding our wrongs really don't erase them. It only postpones their discovery in verse 15, chapter 2. It tells us that when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he's talking about this matter of Moses killing this Egyptian, uh, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat there, down there by a well. Uh, when Moses, uh, we left Moses last week, he had just fled. And he had just went to the, to the desert of Midian, And fleeing to the land of Midian, Moses ended up sitting at a well. Now, I told you last week we're going to call this Desert U, and uh, what that, not Y-O-U, but University, uh, whatever university you went to, uh, uh, Texas U or OU or whatever the university, (laughs) booing the OUs, uh, uh, well, uh, A&M, the University of A&M, I don't know, is it A&M-U? Uh, is that way, is that ever, oh, Texas A&MU, maybe? Got to announce it all. Desert School of Training, then, whatever you want to call it. That's where Moses ends up here. He ends up in, uh, in Midian. Uh, he ends up sitting by a well, and the daughters of a priest there in Midian, uh, they come out and they bring their father's flocks there to this, uh, this well where Moses is sitting. Now, these Midianites were also descendants of Abraham. And though it's uh, through Abraham's second wife, uh, they may have been worshipers of the true God. So their descendants, Midianites, are descendants of Abraham. And that's where we find the story beginning in verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and they filled the troughs uh, to water their flocks. And when the shepherds came, they drove them away that Moses stood up and helped them water their flocks. Now, 
During this time, what you would have had is a well. It wouldn't have been like we have today. It wasn't a well pump or a turn the faucet on. So you would have had some water troughs around this well, and uh, folks would have had to go and lower the bucket into the well and raise the bucket and begin to fill the water troughs so their flocks could water. And that's what Moses, uh, that's what uh, uh, the daughters of, uh, what's his name here? Uh, Jethro. We're going to see that in just a minute. That's what his daughters have done. So they fill all of these water troughs, and then there's a group of shepherds. And in my mind, these shepherds probably knew that these daughters were going to come every day. You kind of get that picture in just a moment. And they waited till all the troughs were full. When they ran their sheep up in there and ran off these seven girl sheep so they wouldn't have to draw the water. Well, we see Moses here, and Moses is there by this well... And it says there, as he's traveled a long way in the desert, he's sitting by the well. These seven daughters of the priest of Midian came to water their flocks. They, he sees the shepherds come, and the scripture says he stood up, and he helped these seven girls. I like that word, stood up, because I think it has a double meaning. I think not only did Moses stand to his feet, but he stood up for these young women to protect them. And so he's helping them out by running off the other shepherds. Evidently, he was uh, uh, recognized as being someone with power because it says shepherds. And here is Moses by himself. But evidently, they feared him enough that they left. And, uh, and he's standing up and he's helping out water these sheep. Now, I want you to just get this thought in your mind. Notice that Mo- Moses, he's the former prince of Egypt. All of a sudden, he's helping these women water smelly, nasty sheep. So that's a long way from the, from the former prince of Egypt. And I believe when we see this, that Moses is already beginning to learn the lesson of servanthood. Y'all know that we've talked about in the past, uh, a shepherd was the, was the bottom rung of the ladder. They were about the, the lowest folks in the uh, in the, the, the uh, the group of people, if you were a shepherd, you were considered untrustworthy, a thief, uh, someone who was unclean. So, so here Moses, from the prince of Egypt down to the, 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 the role of a shepherd, will continue on. <coughs> Excuse me. These young women, they, verse 18 says, when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you've returned so soon today? So that makes me think this was a, probably a normal activity. Probably when those shepherds saw uh, these seven daughters going, they'd say, okay, let's get those to draw our water for us. So it ends up taking those ladies a long time. But on this day, he says, how did you come so soon? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he? Why is it that you've left this man? Call him that he may come and eat bread. This father here is called Ruel, which means a friend of God. Later he's called Jethro. Uh, one, the, one of those names probably is his title, and the other kind of represents uh, his, his uh, or one of them is his family name, and the other's kind of his title. So those two names probably work together. So Jethro comes, he said, how'd y'all make it back so quick? And they said, hey, this Egyptian, and probably because of Moses' dress, they just assumed that he was a, an Egyptian, and they, <coughs> they said that he defended us, he drew water from us. And you know what Jethro's thinking? He's got seven daughters. 
He said, man, go get this guy. Why'd y'all leave him out there? The Bible doesn't say that, but dad, y'all know that's true, don't you? He's sitting there thinking, I got seven daughters, and y'all left this guy out there at the de- in the desert. And so uh, he says, where is he? Why have you left this man calling that he may eat? Their, their father kind of chastised them a little bit and said, hey, man, this, uh, girls, this guy helped you out, and, and you're not even repaying him for what he's done. So they offered this hospitality team, this, this meal to this stranger, and Moses comes, and there's great economy this, this time. They're in this time of, of uh, time in Midian, and, and so he goes. He, by chance, has encountered, which I don't believe is by chance. I believe by this divine appointment, he's encountered this, this, uh, these girls at this well. So he ends up having a lengthy stay in Midian. While he's staying there, he ends up marrying one of these uh, one of these girls. According to verse 21, then Moses was content to live with this man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Can you believe it? A, a man with an advanced knowledge of science, you know, we talked about his education last week, a literature of military tactics. I mean, this guy is smart. This guy is well-educated. Here he is eking out an existence on the backside of a desert. From the, from the former prince of Egypt, he's living with his father-in-law. He's raising a couple of boys, and he's walking, watching over a flock of sheep that don't even belong to him. That's where Moses is. All of a sudden, Moses enters the desert at age 40. He didn't leave the desert until he was 80 years old. He spent 40 years. So during that time, what most people would have considered uh, as many as the most productive years of his life, Moses tended sheep, and it must have seemed like he was just in hell's backyard. I mean, he was in a desert. He was in this dry, thirsty land. And he was a man that didn't, uh, as we look at it, we would think, well, how, he's not been productive for these, for these 40 years. And really, he didn't come productive to God. I want you to listen to this till he was 80 years old. You know what we do? We get about 60 and we say, you know what? I've served my time. It's time for somebody else to do it, right? Say amen or say ouch. That's true, isn't it? Hey, it's time for the younger folks to do it. I've done my time. Let's let somebody else start this. Moses didn't even get started until he was 80. You don't have to say, well, that was different back then. No, it wasn't. He was 80 years old. You can slice it any way you want to. At 80 years old, he became productive for the Lord. So when we look at his life, and, and we've talked about this before, it can kind of be divided into three sections, kind of three areas. The first 40 years of his life, he was nursed by his mother. He was educated in the courts of Pharaoh. The next 40 years of his life, he was out in the desert, and he was being taught by God. He was being instructed by God. And the final 40 years, he was sent to spend with the Hebrew people in the wilderness. As you divide up those areas, D.L. Moody, y'all have probably heard of him, Listen to what he said. I really like how he said this. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was nobody. And he spent his last 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And that's true, isn't it? 
as you think about Moses, he enters the, the second aspect of his schooling in God's desert you, and perhaps you've taken some courses there in the desert before. Maybe, maybe you've been there and it's a place of desolation. Some people spend a, a few weeks in the desert, and, and some people spend a few years in the desert. And, and for Moses... Uh, it was for 40 years in a, bo- a barren land, a, a dry, thirsty land. But I want to ask you this morning, what is your wilderness experience? What has it been? What is it now? If you're, if you're having that wilderness experience, it may be involving caring for an aging family member over extended time. That may be where you find yourself in that desert. It may be some kind of physical condition that's just not improving or it's not going to improve. And you find yourself in that desert. It may be in the form of, a, of an absent spouse or a, a, a rebellious child and, and you're in that desert and, and you've been there for weeks or you've been there for months or, or maybe you've been there for years. The, the desert can wear a, a lot of different faces. And for, for every person, I think sometimes it's desert that, that, that we begin to look at and we begin to find ourselves there. And, and even though it can be crowded with people, it can still be a lonely place. And that loneliness is what you find your desert is. Does God know you're there? Yes. He knows you're there. He knew Moses was there. Does God care what you're going through? Yes. He cared about Moses. He cared what Moses was doing there in the desert. After all, he's the one that allowed you to be in the desert. Oh, why would God do that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Why would God allow me to go into the desert and to be a dry, thirsty land? I'm sure Moses must have thought that. All of a sudden we have Moses. He's there. He's in a barren wilderness. And and sometimes God has to lead us to that point before he can teach us anything. He has to lead us to that barren place in our life, that that place where we find loneliness, that place where we're there and we think, where am I going to go from here? And when we get to that point, I think there's three responses that we can have. I think the first response is this, God, I don't need this. I don't need to be in this barren land. I don't need to be in this desert. My wife does. Or, uh, you know, maybe my, my, my sister, she definitely needs to be there. Or, or maybe my brother, he needs to be there. My, da- my neighbor, they, they need to be in that place. But, but God, not I, I certainly don't need this. That can be our response. When we find ourselves in that desert, our second response can be this. I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it. You know, no matter how long we've been in the desert experience, it, it seems too long. If it's been for four or five hours, or if it's been for four or five years, it's simply been too long. But Moses remained there for 40 years. Do you ever feel like saying that? You know, Lord, I'm weary to the point of death with this situation. The circumstances I'm trapped in, and I've had all I can stand. Sometimes that's where we are in the desert. Here's the third response, and I believe it's the response God wants to hear. Lord, I'm here. What am I to learn? In the desert. I think when we can come to that response that's saying, Lord, I'm in the desert. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm in a dry, thirsty place in my life. What do you want to teach me through this? And I believe when we get to that point, 
then we're going to graduate from Desert Ube. If we never come to that point, I'm not sure we're ever going to graduate because we begin to look around at they should be here and it's their fault and all of these things. And, and we look around and say, I'm sick and tired of it. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm down and poor, poor, pitiful me. And until we come to the point of saying, all right, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me? At that point, we can begin to move on. And, and that's where I want us to go with our message this morning. God never does anything without a purpose. Did you hear that? God never does anything without a purpose. God put Moses through 40 years in the wilderness, and then he had him turn right around and lead the children of Israel 40 more years back in that same wilderness. You see, Moses, during that time, that 40-year course of survival... Moses is there, he's learning day after day after day where to find water, how to protect the sheep, how to do all of these things, and God is teaching him skills that it takes to survive in the wilderness. Excuse me. So as we think about that, what are we learning, what's happening there in the wilderness? Why does God lead us into those desert places Moses tells us why God leads us. Now, I want you to catch this this morning. I don't want you to miss this. Moses said God puts us in the desert places that he can humble us, that he can test us, and that he can truly see the the condition of our heart. Now, you, you may say, well, Jake, those are pretty good ideals that you've made up. Well, I didn't make those up. Those come out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And this is what Moses said. Deuteronomy 8, 2 says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way during these 40 years in the wilderness. I said a while ago, God allows us to be there. You may say, God, I don't want to be here. God's allowed you to be there. But he's leading you in the wilderness. Isn't that great? Don't miss this this morning. And why did he do that? Look at what it says. To humble you, to test you, and to know what's in your heart, whether you'll keep his commandments or not. See, what God did, what God taught Moses, some important lessons in the desert, he could have taught him anywhere else. But the first thing I want you to consider is this, that God taught Moses how to deal with his future or with his failures in the past. As God is here, he, he said, this is what I want you to le- I want you to, to learn how to deal with the, the failure that's in your past. God puts us in the, in the desert. He allows us in the desert to humble us, to test us, and to know what's really in our heart. You know what? It is easy to praise the Lord and to serve the Lord when everything's going your way, isn't it? And then when something goes awry, to throw our hands up and go, well, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I, I was serving you. I was trying to do everything you wanted. He said, Moses, if your heart is right, it doesn't matter what's happening over here. It doesn't matter what's happening. If your heart is right, if you're keeping my commandments, hey, you're going to learn through this. You're going to grow through this. And that's what Moses begins to understand. And then think about how Moses needed to deal with his past failures. I mean, here we have Moses. He's dealing with something. He's raced off into the desert. You know he had regrets, don't you? Don't you know that Moses has has thought, you know what, I'm the deliverer of Israel. And all of a sudden, I've murdered a man, I've tried to hide it, I've tried to cover it up. 
And he begins to deal with those regrets from his past. Have you been there? Have you, have you had something in your life that, that you've truly disappointed yourself with? Your own actions, you've been disappointed in, in what you have done. Have you ever felt that you've messed things up so badly that your situation's hopeless? I mean, I believe that's where Moses was. I, I believe he said, you know what? I, I can't get this straightened out. I, I, I failed in what, what God wanted me to do. He must have believed that God won't ever use me again. Man, I was going to be the deliverer of Israel. I had this vision, and all of a sudden I've, I've failed God. And I believe God had to teach Moses how to forgive himself. Can you imagine what those 40 years of, of Moses in the desert would have been like if he had never forgiven himself? If every time they couldn't find water, if every time they came to Moses and said, Moses, you let us out here to starve to death. If Moses kept coming back and saying, you know what? If I hadn't murdered that Egyptian, then we wouldn't be hungry. If I hadn't murdered that, if I hadn't murdered that Egyptian, we wouldn't be thirsty. If I hadn't murdered that Egyptian, Pharaoh's army wouldn't be pouring down behind us as we stand at the Red Sea. See, he could have had all those excuses to say, hey, my past, because of my past, I'm suffering these things today. But I believe in the wilderness, Moses learned to forgive himself because you know what? God had already forgave him. And folks, when God forgives us, we need to work, and we need to learn to forgive ourselves. I believe God taught Moses that in the desert, and I believe he can teach us that in our desert experience. Here's the second important thing that God taught Moses in the desert, you, and that was how to handle tediousness. Does anybody like that? The tedious things of life. Boy, don't we get tired of that? Don't we get tired of those, those tedious things? In other words, how to wait on God? I heard somebody make a statement this morning. I was sitting in my study, and I heard somebody talking about, you know, waiting on God. I don't remember what it was said, but I, I kind of laughed because I thought that's how we are. We need to understand God's not at all concerned about our concept of time. Don't we hate that? Don't you hate that? God, I have this timetable. I want to get from here to here. Here's how I'm going to do it. And God says, you know what? You need to learn how to wait on me. You need to how to learn to deal with the tediousness. Folks, God is not limited by time. We kind of feel like we are. God has a, has a perfect plan. And you know what's in his perfect plan? A perfect timetable. He's got it figured out. He's got it worked out. For 40 years in the desert, God taught Moses how to wait on God. You know, after a few years, Moses might have thought, well, you know, by now I ought to be out of here. I'm still a shepherd. God, by now I ought to be doing this, but, but I'm not here yet. And, and I believe day after day after day in the desert, God was teaching Moses. Here's an important thing. God never leaves us alone in the desert. He doesn't just send us out there on our own. Look at Deuteronomy 32, verses 10. Reread, he found him in a desert land. And in the wasteland, a howling wilderness, he encircled him, he instructed him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 32 and underline verse 10. That is a great verse. These verses can be personalized for us. You see, 
He refers to God. Listen to this. This verse would say to us today, God found you in the desert land. And God found you in a howling wilderness. And God encircled you. He instructed you. And he kept you as the apple of his eye. Literally the pulpit, the, the pupil of his eye. That's how, God, that's how God keeps you. We find ourselves in the wilderness. We, we feel that God has abandoned us, but, but that's not true. He hasn't left us for our own care. Before giving into feelings of abandonment, we need to take a close look at these verses in, these verses in Deuteronomy 32. Four things it tells us here. He encircles us. He instructs care for us. He guards us at the pupil of his eye. Have you ever thought about how protective you are of your eye? You're protective of your eye. If y'all ever see me outside of church, I've got on glasses. Not, not, these are just reading glasses. Not prescription glasses, but sunglasses. And they're safety glasses. And I wear them constantly. And I've, I've, I've developed a habit over the years because of my job that, that we've been told over and over and over, protect your eyes, guard your eyes. So I've just become a habit. I, I go in a building a lot of times. I'll sit down to eat and somebody say, why have you got your sunglasses on? I'm not trying to be cool. I know I'm cool without glasses. I, I'm just thinking I didn't even realize I had them on. Think about how protective your body is of your eye. If, if, reach over and poke your neighbor in the eye. In the eye. What, what are you going to do when they do that? What's your body going to do? It's going to shut that eye. Why? You're protecting. Colton, I don't see how you and Katie work in somebody's eye. Col- Colton gave me some contacts, and I wear them uh, pretty often on Sunday morning. And, uh, and the first time, he said, I'll put it in for you. And he was in the bathroom, and I was going... <laughs> And he was going, and, and, you know, he, he, he was trying to hold it open. I was trying my best to shut it back, you know. That's how protective we are of our eyes. I mean, we are protective of our eyes. Our body naturally protects our eyes. It shuts off. That's the point God is making for us. Think about how protective we are. And God is saying, I care for you with the greatest care. As the pupil of my eye. As, as we protect our eyes. God says, I'm, I'm guarding you as the pupil of my eye. So when we're in those times, we don't, think that, we don't need to think that God has abandoned us. That God has forgotten us. He says, you know what? I'm encircling you. I'm caring for you. I'm guarding you as the pupil of my eye. And then the last thing he says is, I'm going to guide you. I'm not forsaking you and I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to guide you. Listen to what it says. If we can continue reading there in Deuteronomy 32. As the eagle stirs up his nest, this is verse 11, and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, then taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him. You know what that picture is? An eagle. We have some eagle nests in some of our facilities at work. 
And we had one down in East Texas built on a big old 345 metal tower. Y'all seen it? So uh, to protect the bird, we, we, had, we took a tower and built one out beside this one that has no power lines on it. And we reconstructed the bird's nest and, and the bird took it. And actually you can go on the website and you can watch that eagle. They put a little camera up there and, uh, and it lays eggs and, and took the nest. It goes back every year. But what an eagle does is an eagle goes and gathers up. This, these nests are huge. You know, they're this big around and this thick. And, and they build all these sticks. And then the nest, the, the eagle takes after he gets all the nests made, it takes feathers and starts pulling feathers out. And, and it pulls some big feathers out and lines the nest. And then it goes and gets those down feathers and, and it lines the nest. And then, then the eagle lays its eggs there in the nest. And the, the young ones are born. And the eagle comes and, and feeds them and takes care of them. And, and this whole time they're laying in that feather mattress, that feather bed. And they're growing and they're growing. But look what it says here. The eagle stirs up the nest. You know what that eagle does? When it's time for them eaglets to start flying and to start moving out on their own, she goes in there and she disturbs that nest. She flicks all them soft feathers out. And she takes some of those sticks that she's woven together and she makes some sharp points in there and she turns them up so all of a sudden these babies aren't comfortable anymore. See, they've been living in the comfort of that nest and the eagle stirs up the nest. That's what it's talking about here. And then it hovers over its young, spreading its wings and taking them up. Well, I'm sure you've all heard this. After it stirs the nest up, after it puts them in the wilderness, you know that's what it does. Those eagles move from the comfort of that warm nest till they're out of their comfort zone. Then the eagle takes them and kicks them out of the nest. And this nest is hundreds of feet tall and, and that eaglet just begins to fall and begins to tumble. And the eagle spreads its wings out and takes them up. You see what it says in Scripture? He spreads her wings. She takes them up and carries them on his wings. And then she carries them up high and she dumps them off again. Boy, wouldn't that be tough? <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not an eagle? And that eaglet is just falling. And, and finally that eagle begins to spread its wings. And it begins to soar. And it begins to understand, you know what? My mom didn't abandon me. When she stirred the nest up and when she kicked me out of my comfort zone. But she encircled me. She instructed me. She cared for me as the pupil of her eye as I was falling. She swooped down and she grabbed me and she carried me up. And through that whole process, she began to teach him how to fly, how to soar, how he could be everything that he was intended to be. As an eagle, it had to be trained. And for us, as we may feel like we're all alone in the wilderness. We may feel like God's abandoned us and God's left us. But if we look at what Moses said, these are Moses' words. He said, hey, I was in the wilderness. And all of a sudden I found out that God is there and he's encircled me and he's instructing his care for me. He's guiding me, with, guarding me with the pupil of his eye. And then he's teaching me. 
as an eagle would stir up his nest and hover over his young and spread out its wings and take them up and carry them on his wings, so the Lord alone is leading me. See, that's the lessons that we learn in the wilderness. We may feel dismay. We may feel sad. But you know what? Whatever your emotions is telling you, God's not leaving you alone in the desert. God's not abandoning you in the desert. Here's our last thing this morning. God never forgets His promises. Just based on what we've read this far, we might be tempted to think that the life of Moses ended in obscurity. We know better than that, don't we? In spite of his appearances, God is very much at work. As we see in these final verses of this chapter, verse 23, we're told, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. It's highly likely that Moses, even though he's hid out in the Midian in the desert, that he still heard about the plight of the Hebrew people. I mean, it's, it's probably, he, he probably knew what was happening. And I'm sure that he, he ached to do something. He wanted to do something to help his people. After all, that's why he killed the Egyptian in the first place. He looked at an Egyptian beating one of the children of Israel, and he had compassion, and he said, I want to help. Of course, he were on way ahead of God. That's why he's in the desert. But, but I'm sure he still wanted to help these people. Verse 24 says, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. You know what I said? God never forgets his promises. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel... And God acknowledged them. Humanly speaking, it looks like everything's worked Israel. But our text uses four verbs. English teachers don't get worried. I'm sure they're verbs. Recording the death of God's response. When he heard the groaning or the cries of his people, here's four things. God heard, God remembered, God looked, and God acknowledged. In other words, he was concerned. The facts are that God was very informed and very involved and very intent on fulfilling his promises for the children of Israel. This morning, just as we come to a close, I want to ask you to bow your heads. If you find yourself attending Desert U, don't despair. God has your purpose, and it probably begins right there in the desert. Remember, God doesn't do anything without a purpose. God has something that he wants you to learn through this. Remember what we said, God, okay, here I am. What are you trying to teach me? It may be like Moses. We may need to be dealing with some past memories some past failures. You need to put them behind you in the past. Forgive yourself and where you can move on. Maybe you've received forgiveness from God, but you just hadn't forgiven yourself yet. It's time to bury that and move on. 
Maybe you've beaten yourself up of, of some failures of the past. Well, I've tried and I've failed, and I'm just throwing my hands up. I don't know where to go now. Just, you know what? It's time to put the past in the past, and let's move on. Maybe God's trying to teach you that in the desert. Remember this, there are no shortcuts out of the desert. It's time to stop running and it's time to stop making excuses from one dead end to the next dead end and wait till God moves. He's going to open a door. He's going to remember his promise. We're going to see how God calls Moses and says, you know what, you've learned and here it is, it's time to move forward. Here are your marching orders. It's in the desert that you're going to learn things that you'll never learn anywhere else. Here I am, Lord. What is it that you'd have me learn? Father, I pray today as we look at our time in the desert and we look at Moses' time in the desert, Father, that we would remember that you've not forsaken us, you've not abandoned us, you test us. You test our hearts to see if we really are what we claim to be. Father, I pray that we remember that you encircle us and you lift us up and you guard us as the pupil of your eye. Father, I pray that we'd remember that eagle and how for its growth that nest is stirred up and we're moved beyond our comfort zone. Father, I pray that we would know it's during those times that we learn to soar and we learn to be all that you desire for us, your children. Father, I also pray that this morning, if it would require today we step out of our comfort zone, that your spirit would just let us know that. And during this time of invitation that we would respond to the wooing and the calling your spirit wherever you would lead Lord that we would trust you and trust you alone and I pray this in the name of Jesus